if we want to see a change in the world, I believe that it starts in the church. You have just tuned into the Being One podcast. Hey, 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 it's your girl, Samantha Laguerre on the Being One podcast, the podcast where we will embark on a journey to be one with Christ in our everyday lives as human beings. At times, we may feel that we do not need God. There is so much frustration in this world because we have relied on gods rather than God. These transitory gods are not able to save us or bring happiness to the human heart. Only God is able. It is faith in him that we must rediscover. With this faith, we can transform bleak and desolate valleys into sunlit paths of joy and bring new light into the dark cavern of pessimism. Dr. Martha Luther King Jr. Hello, Kingdom Citizens. We're back with another episode, y'all. Um, episode six for the win. Um, so thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in. Um, you know, I just ask that if you have any questions of any episodes or anything that you want to ask me, again, do not be afraid to reach out to me um, through social media. I believe if you look at the description of the podcast, you will find where you can connect with me. You will find my email address as well as where you can follow me on Twitter and on Instagram, as well as there is the Facebook page that is called the Being Being One Podcast, where you can also leave any reviews. You can, you know, leave a post asking me a question. You can DM me, message me, whatever it is. Um, go ahead and do that. Use that to your advantage. Um, use me to your advantage. I I definitely want to know who who's listening. Um, what you guys think about the podcast what you guys think about the episodes if there's anything that I can clarify um just so that we can you know walk in oneness um in this journey you know I'm doing I'm walking on this journey and you know I believe that you guys are walking on this journey as well so I want to know where you are in your season and how I can better serve you okay so in light of Black History Month today's episode is going to be a little bit different I haven't um spoken anything about you know, black history and being that I am a black young woman in this world in America, um, there are things I have comments on, um, things that I have concerns. And also being that I am Christian and in the church, I feel like there's a lot of things that we kind of are passive about. And so on today's episode, I'm kind of just going to speak my heart in light of Black History Month, in light of you know, my culture in light of my heritage. Um, I'm just going to speak. And if you're interested, you know, continue listening. Um, you know, I just pray that, you know, as I speak my heart out, you know, you can find wisdom in it, something that you can grab on, or maybe something that you, you know, be enlightened by in a sense that you'll be enlightened by some things that I will talk about. Um, I was a little bit shy about even putting out contents you know, about this or, you know, in regards to this. Um, but I felt, you know, God confirmed it for me to do this. So here it is. So let's start off again. You know that I am African-American. I am of Haitian descent. I did witness how people would treat my parents, well, especially my father, because he does have an accent. And his accent is pretty funny because I 
growing up, like people that, you know, like people look in your family or they will hear your family members or something and say like, oh, they have an accent. But growing up in that, I never thought or, you know, heard an accent. I just, you know, that's how they spoke my whole life. So I didn't realize there was an accent behind it. But people would comment on my dad's accent. And sometimes I think he makes it up himself because I'm just like, I never recall you having an accent. But anyways, um, and I would hear or see how people would treat him differently because of that, you know, and it, you know, it kind of like, I don't know, like the way I am, just like, you know, how I explained in the undercover Christian and things like that, how I was, I'm like very, I can be very passive sometimes. Like I will see things and witness things and I will decide, let me not say anything, feeling as though if I don't say anything, that was making the situation better. As I grew up and got older and got wiser, I realized that we're not necessarily called to be passive. And I feel like this is where, you know, in the Christian community or in the black community or, you know, in in the minority community, it's kind of like we're just trying to survive. And in order to survive, sometimes we just we just have to pick our battles and we don't necessarily speak up about certain things or, you know, if we feel as though we're not physically or um, verbally receiving racist blurs, then, you know, we're just not going to say anything or, you know, we're going to be quiet. We're not going to speak up about it on social media or anything like that. We're just going to kind of just, you know, it's not happening to me. So why should I say something? Right. Um, And that was my case. Um, I just kind of, you know, just went with the flow. I was the go with the flow type of girl, um, even though I would witness a lot. So growing up, I always went to a PWI. And if you don't know what that means, it's a predominantly white um, institution. So I went to predominantly white schools growing up. And I want to say, yeah, so um, when I was younger, I went to a Christian school. So it was majority, of course, white people. Um, and but growing up in the church, um, I I went to a Haitian church. So it was just a bunch of, you know, black people at school, being in the Christian school. There would be times when we would go to inside of the, the chapel and, you know, we would worship and pray. And the songs were different. And the songs that we would worship at school were different, you know. And so this is what this is how I got exposed to, you know, what we would call like the white people music or the white people worship. Um, and then at uh, my church, you know, the Haitian church, it was quite different, way different, you know, different songs. Um, you know, we we're majority singing um, songs in Creole and French. And then at times we would sing, you know, or we would dance to. Um, like songs like Kirk Franklin and Donnie McClurkin and things of that nature. I didn't, I don't think I was ever exposed to like the white people's music um, in the Haitian church. I don't believe so. As I grew up, I always just had white friends. I don't really remember having black friends like that. Um, It wasn't until fourth grade, I believe that I, you know, had like a close black friend. Um, I know that's weird to say, but yeah. But I don't know. I was always just that trying to fit in type of girl yeah so I was kind of you know just fit in you know whoever come to me whoever want to be my friend you know I would be their friend you know there was no you know anything um but I do remember feeling a little bit insecure um about my hair texture um the fact that it wasn't straight the fact that my friends like my white friends weren't able to just pass their hands through my head um through my hair 
or, you know, braid my hair because my hair was already styled. Whereas I could go through their hair and braid their hair, twist their hair and did all these things. And then, you know, they could bring a brush to, to class and they were just brushing their hair like normal. But I couldn't do that. And growing up like on Disney Channel and Nickelodeon and things of that nature, it was always, you know, like predominantly white shows. Um, and that's why I always loved um, That's So Raven because, you know, somebody, finally somebody that I can relate to that's on television. But it was still a battle with my insecurities because, you know, That's a Raven, like she didn't have natural hair like on TV. You know, that wasn't that. So it kind of made me feel as though, hmm, you know, I don't feel like I'm enough. You know, like I don't feel like I'm beautiful or, you know, that people would like me because the people on TV, you know what I mean? Like they, they have all the friends, you know, they, even though like they would go through things, but you know, I couldn't really copy that. Like, they couldn't really be a, they were a role model, but I couldn't really step in their shoes because I felt like I couldn't perform how they performed just because, like, my hair wasn't straight or curly. It was just, you know, all these different things that I battled with being young and going to school and seeing the same thing. Um, and then I remember fourth grade, um, the, the girls that were in my class that were black, they had got perms. And so I was just like, oh, my goodness, like there's nobody here that I can relate to. And I was really begging my mom for a perm because, you know, I wanted my hair straight. Everybody else had their hair straight. Like, why couldn't I? Um, it wasn't until I think fifth grade, I believe at fifth grade, I did get a perm. Um, and, you know, I felt a little bit more comfortable, even though my hair wasn't as long as the others. But best believe I had my little toothpick comb and my purse that I had needed to carry. And I was just combing my hair in class, like so obsessed because of the fact that my hair was straight and I wanted to just, I don't know, like show that to everybody, I guess. Um, so like fast forward to like now and I've always continued in I've like every church that I've been at, it's always been or like been, you know, um, active at has been like a black, predominantly black church. And so what happened is that growing up in that and being in that environment all the time, it kind of restricted me or hindered me on uh, my mind to think that like only black people were Christians or like only black people went to church or like just realizing that there was a difference between the way black people worshiped and, and had church and the way white people did. And so it created this sort of prejudice thing. I don't know. Yeah. Like it created this prejudice thing within me where it's like, okay, y'all do y'all church. We do our church. And you know, that's it. And I found that even when I would go out um, with my church and we let's say we we're going to evangelize or if I needed to you know invite somebody to church I I was hesitant on inviting someone other than a black person I'm going to be honest um, if there was like a youth revival or you know a youth conference that I had I would more so f find a black person and give that flyer to rather than a white person just because you know there was no white people at my church so it's just like oh, you might feel a little uncomfortable, so let me not do it, right? So all of that to just say that, you know, if you can relate to what I'm speaking about and, you know, you grew up in a black church your whole life, um, what I realized is that it kind of created a gate. It kind of created a wall between, you know, 
yeah, it was like segregation. It segregated us. Well, for me personally, me and a white person, I didn't feel like I could relate to them as much as I can a black person because not only did I have that community, I don't know, like with me, like my church friends and, you know, the people at church, I saw them more than the people at school, even though like at school, we would see them eight hours of the day, Monday through Friday. Um, the people who came over my house and the people that I hanged with um, outside of like, you know, that um, eight hours school day was the people from church. So these were the people that I was developing relationships with and fellowshipping with were these type of people, um, black people. So that's what I knew. So um, now, you know, now in this like this day, whatever, I'm going to just kind of speak on my story and then I'm going to kind of just elaborate more on, you know, the flaws of having segregated churches um, you know, like, you know, this this podcast is all about being one and for us to be one in the body of Christ. And I um, emphasize this a lot in the introduction episode, I believe, where I spoke about how the enemy really wants to come and divide us. And he doesn't want us to be unified in the body because he knows that if we really get together and we are unified, that like literally, you know, we will move mountains and, you know, miracle will happen. Healings will take place. But he knows that. And so that's why he really comes after the body and tries to divide us. And this happens with, the, you know, black churches and white churches and, and, you know, still being segregated, even though we're supposed to be Christians, even though we're supposed to be one body. So before I get into all of that, let me just continue with my story. And so I recall a time I was believe I was in ninth grade. Um, and I was part of a dance team and we were just coming back from a dance practice we had at the park and we got pulled over and it was like a bunch of us in the car and I don't, re I don't, I didn't have my seatbelt on. And so we got pulled over. I quickly like got, you know, positioned myself and I had my phone in my hand and I remember the police officer, it was two of them. Um, they came by the car and asked the girl who was driving for her license and, and things of that nature. And I was in the back seat, right? And he told her to put down the window seat, the back window seat. And so this is where I was sitting. But I was sitting in the middle. Like, there was somebody next to the door, and then there was me, and there was, like, three other girls in the back of the car. And I just had my phone in my hand, and I just had kind of had my head down. Because, you know, what does it have to do with me? You know, like, they're stopping. I wasn't the one driving, so I didn't want to draw attention to myself. And I remember um, hearing the police officer was just speaking to me and telling me he's at the big he was at the back window and he was saying um like don't go don't use your phone and I was like what and I was like he can't be speaking to me because my phone is not on and I was just still looking down and he's like you don't hear me that like he was getting loud and so I looked up confused like are you speaking to me like you know I didn't say anything I just kind of gave him that look like what and he was like and he was like get out the car and I was like, what? And I was looking at the other girls like, what? And this is a white man. These were two white officers. And it was a bunch of black girls in the car. And I was like, what? So then I I was looking at them like, I didn't do anything. Why would I get out the car? And then he was just like threatening me and things like that, like threatening us that like he was taking to jail if I didn't get out. So then I got out because they're like, Samantha, just get out. So I got out the car. And then he asked me for my like ID and things of that nature. I was like, what? 14, 15, um, and I had my student ID, so I gave him that because I don't drive, I don't have a license, and I gave him that, and then 
he was just like saying, oh, you better not give me attitude. I will send you and your whole team to jail and doing saying all of these things. Right. And I was so confused. Like imagine little old me. Right. I'm like 14, 15 years old. So skinny, so small, um, looking so confused. And then he was like, told me to sit down. And so I like kind of squat where I was. And he was like, no. And he pointed like we were in this street where it was like it was like a, a big street, um, a big street where there's just like, you know, two two traffic sides. Um, there's like intersection and like, you know, traffic going both ways and a very big, you know, traffic, you know, street. And he t- he pointed to the area on the sidewalk where the sun was beaming at and told me, no, right there. And he was like and crisscross applesauce. And I looked at him and I looked at the the area like literally he wanted me to be burned and I kind of looked at it sideways a little bit and he was like oh don't act like you don't um you're not you don't um get this heat in Haiti don't act like you don't do this in Haiti and I was y'all I had no words I just looked at him like what like what does it have to do with anything but I obeyed right and I just I just crisscrossed applesauce in that heat. So embarrassed, had my head down because I didn't want people to see me. And he told me, like, you know, after they were talking with the driver and talking with parents, things like that, he was like, I can't get back in the car. And he told me that I needed to walk the opposite direction. So we were trying to get back to the school. And he said I couldn't walk that way. Like, the way we were driving, I couldn't go that way. I had to go the opposite way. That made no sense to me, like the opposite direction like that's not even near my house and so I was just obedient right and in my head like I felt humiliated like I felt worthless like I was just so confused like I'm a child you know like why are you treating me this way and this I believe is when I just started not liking policemen's like I really like did not like them because of that um situation because that experience that I had and there's been others but you know that one was really like to this day I you know I still think about it and as you know I walked away like tears began to fill my eyes because I was just like you know I just felt like I wasn't a person like I just felt like and I, I felt like I didn't have a voice like you know I wanted to speak up but what can I really say like he was an officer he had authority and so I just felt like I didn't, you know, I couldn't say anything. And so I had to just, you know, do what he says, because how dare you tell me to go sit in the sun? Like, you know, like, how dare you say that, um, you know, I've experienced this in Haiti. Like, how do you know I've ever been to Haiti? You know, like it was just stuff like that. Like I would want to question. But he was already saying that I had an attitude, even though I didn't say anything and threatening to take me and my team to jail. So it was just all that I was going through. Right. Um. And eventually, like the other girls who were in the car, he had them get out of there as well and say that they couldn't ride in that car again and had them walk. And then I just, you know, they ended up meeting me halfway as I was walking. That was my experience with um, feeling, you know, discriminated against and, you know, experiencing what I felt like was racism. Like, you know, like it just you just taking your authority and being wicked about it and with it like you know that so that was my experience with it 
And so when I speak about, you know, the injustices in this world and I speak about the racism and the prejudice and, you know, all these things that happen, you know, I'm speaking from experience. I'm speaking because I've experienced this and I've witnessed other people experience it. And I see the news. I see what goes on. I read the um, the news and articles about, you know, people facing these type of discrimination and racism and things of that nature. So, you know, that was my story. Now that, um, in, you know, now I'm um, being that I'm 22 and for the past year, I have been going to a multiracial um, congregation, a, a multiracial church um, where it's, you know, black, white, um, Spanish, Asian. It's just a lot of people, a lot of different races, a lot of different, um, gen- um, you know, obviously two genders, men and women, but, um, you know, different age range and, you know, um, socioeconomic statuses and things of that nature. And it was kind of a cultural shock. Like I walked in there, um, and it was just like, oh, like you're white sitting next to me, you know, like, oh, you worship like that. Um, I don't know. I guess I just kind of, because I just was always just used to black people in the church, um, I, I guess I kind of started seeing the white people as heathens or something. I feel like that's what happened because I was pretty shocked to see them like worshiping and things like that. I'm just being honest. Right. And even being in a church where it was wasn't just black people, but it was a mix of people. It kind of gave me a feel to what heaven is going to look like. Right. Um, being in a, whole, a black church, you know, that was a misconception. Like it's not going to be just black people in heaven, that there's going to be a mix of us. And so I felt like being in that church, being in a church where it is all different races, that is kind of like, you know, the, what is the church for? The church is literally preparing you and equipping you for life after earth. Like, you know, when we get to heaven, it's going to be we're, we're worshiping Jesus, worshiping God. And we're going to be with all different types of people. It's not going to be your one race. And so that's what I felt in that church. Like, man, like, God, this is what heaven is going to look like. And, you know, this is preparing me to see these different type of people in this type of setting. And what I also found was that it helped me to kind of cross that barrier of evangelizing to people outside of my race that I don't I didn't necessarily have to only just speak to black people but I was able to speak to you know white people and speak to um um, Spanish people and speak to other people outside of my race because I was able to speak to these type of people in church and so it was comfortable to me now and I could speak to them about God and you know I can have a conversation about um this journey and this walk of um, you know, becoming one with Christ and being one with Christ. And so I felt a little bit more comfortable outside of the church to speak to these type of people as well. All right. So that's my story. Right. Um, and if you can relate, high five to you. <laughs> um, and, you know, it could be, you know, vice versa for a white person who may be listening that, you know, maybe you feel that way that, you know, you grew up in a predominantly white church, you know, so it was always just white people around you. And maybe you felt a little bit uncomfortable about going up to a black person, inviting them to your church or evangelizing to them because you never really had that practice of speaking about your faith to someone outside of your race. For this episode, I did a lot of reading, y'all. I, I did a lot of reading. Um, I did a lot of digging. I did, I did a lot of research about like blacks in the U.S. and minorities in the U.S. and minorities in churches. Like what role do we play in churches? 
And I feel like it was when I went to this um, event. It was like a conference type. Um, It was like from 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. in Orlando, Florida. And it was called The Send. And I feel like it was then when I, I kind of was woke about the situation and caused me to do more digging and more research was when this black man, he is a missionary. He does mission work. And he was saying how he's in Africa right now or when, you know, a part in his team of missionaries that he's the only black man. And I was like, wow, really? And it really, you know, and at that moment, I realized that it's true that when you see on TV and stuff about, you know, feed the homeless and things of that nature, it's always a white organization or someone of, you know, that race who is on the television, you know, telling us, you know, go ahead and donate and things of that nature and doing mission work. And it's not really, you know, African-Americans out there. And there's many reasons why to why we're not, you know, in different countries or, you know, doing mission work. And it's a lot that plays into it. For example, um, the, the money, the finances, you know, like, you know, the finances hinder us, whereas, you know, our white counterparts, you know, they have that support, you know, they have the funds. It's just a lot. But that really just opened up my eyes to not just racism or the inequalities that we face in the U.S., but also what the racism and segregation that occurs even in churches and in Christianity, which is so crazy, I know. Because that, you know, obviously the Bible is not about that. Like, he doesn't tell us that, you know, go ahead and treat black people like they're unequal. Like, that's not a thing, right? But it this is the world that we live in. And these are things that we need to speak about and speak on. And so that's why I'm here to just speak on it. Um, as I was, you know, doing my research and, and doing reading, um, there was a lot of cases that I've... One being that there is this stigma that you know, Christianity in the Bible is for the white man. You know, it's the white man's book. And it was just pushed on our ancestors. You know what I mean? Um, and that it was never for us. It was just forced on us. Yes, there is truth in that. But saying that Christianity is for white people and or that, you know, Christianity was just for our ancestors to like that's all they had basically and that it, it, you know it, or it you know or it's or it's um it's a book you know the bible so christianity is something for us to be controlled by you know it's controlling us you know it's part of us being part of the system that's all literally a lie yes um when you know the slaves did come from africa and you know they that's you know that's what their slaves most of their slave owners practiced was christianity and so they had to go to church and that's what they heard and listened to but it's not that yeah they you know the the slaves you know i was reading on it like yeah the slave owners allowed um the missionaries and those who were mission um, doing mission work to come and speak to the slaves you know thinking that okay well at least Christ, you know christianity would help them to be better but through their through the sermons that they would hear and through the reading of the bible and you know growing in in their knowledge of god they found jesus and jesus they found that they had a savior or there's also this idea that it's like 
why would we follow the Bible or why would we follow um, Jesus or this Christianity if the reason why slaves justified what they did, not just not slaves, but the slave owners justified what they did was based off the Bible. Why would we follow that? And just like in today's world where things get misinterpreted all the time, like people take things from the Bible and try to justify their own lives because they're not aligning their their life to the Bible. They're aligning the Bible to their life. And it's possible to do that. And it's possible to seem as though what you're doing is right if you take bits and pieces of the Bible. And so that's what happened um, during that time that they were taking one part of the scripture and using it to their advantage and not reading the rest of it, if that makes sense. Like they were taking that, oh, you know, slaves, listen to your masters, but they didn't finish continue reading where it says, you know, masters, you're not, you're like, you're no better than your slaves, you know, like, so it's just, it was just at that time, they were just taking, you know, something that was holy and manipulating it and misinterpreting it to validate their evilness and their wickedness. And so we shouldn't shun the Bible and shun Christianity just because a group of people decided to use the Bible to um, justify their behaviors. But it's funny because even the slaves, they could have thought that, you know, like, oh, you guys are trying to push your religion. But, you know, they found through reading the Bible and listening to these sermons and finding Jesus that this is that that was their hope, you know. Um, and they realized that this wasn't the way that, you know, God intended it. You know, this was not in God's plan that, you know, us black people were not like a second thought. You know, God didn't just say, oh, let me just let me just add some color to the world and just add some black people, you know, with no thought to it or with no meaning behind it. No, we, we are here for a reason. You know what I mean? Like God created us in different colors. He, he created different um, nations and ethnicities and races for a reason. You know what I mean? So don't feel as though we were just God's sloppy seconds or, you know, we were just an afterthought. But no, God had intent. He had a purpose um, for putting us here. And it's, you know, it's definitely sad that our ancestors had to go through so much um, just for us to continue to live in racism today, that we still face racism even today. Yes, it got a lot more better, but just like technology evolves and adapts, um, so does racism. It may not look the same as it did, um, uh, you know, years ago, but racism still exists even in today. Um, we're not getting beaten by masters, but, you know, mentally, emotionally, um, systematically, um, we're still being oppressed, right? I repent. I, you know, I have to ask God for repentance because, you know, there's things that will happen and I just don't really speak out about it because I'm, I've, you know, I've, I've adapted to this idea that being a Christian that, oh, let me just promote peace. So let me not say anything where it's like, no, God calls us to speak the truth. Right. And he tells us to speak the truth in love. So if I feel as though, um, I'm facing, um, discrimination or being discriminated against or that someone you know my brother or sister is, is being discriminated against like 
I have the right to speak the truth that the truth is that we are being discriminated. The truth is that we are facing racism. And so I shouldn't have to be passive about that. I can still be peaceful in that with that approach, but I'm not. God doesn't doesn't call us to be passive. You know what I mean? He doesn't call us to be passive. We are to speak the truth. And so this happens. And I read even an article about um, a church and one of the members was feeling as though they didn't belong. And it was a predominantly white church. It was a mega church. And she kind of was like sitting there and was kind of like, you know, this church isn't set up for people like me. I honestly felt so sad reading that. And the, this lady, um, like in her 40s, and okay, this this was her mindset. Like she grew up in a predominantly black church, but she didn't want that. Like she wanted to be where it was diverse. And so she sought out this church that was a mega church that was a little bit, you know, diverse, but it was predominantly white. And so that caused her not to go to church for years. And I was just saddened by that. And there was also another case where this black um, boy, he was a youth and he was also at this predominantly white church. And I guess um, one of the pastors felt as though, I don't know, like maybe it was supposed to be a joke. And he was basically saying like, oh, God must have left him in the oven a little bit long. And um, another leader suggested to him saying, you must be new because he was black. And things like that, that's where like it creates church hurt, you know, like it, it's it's. I know we don't want to like speak on it. We don't want to say it, but it happens in the church. Like, I guess. So I hear this saying a lot that's, you know, I don't see color. And I know um, people say that to kind of confirm that they're not racist. When in reality, I take that when you say I don't see color as very ignorant. And it makes me feel as though I don't see color is that you don't appreciate or honor the fact that I am different, that I do have a different color. And it makes me feel as though you feel as though because you don't see color that we should all kind of just blend and you don't appreciate the uniqueness or the way God has created me to be. Um, but yeah, so that, you know, I feel as though it's an ignorant statement. Um, and it, it's a lot of people in the church who don't go to church because of this. And we see it a lot with politics that a lot of um, churches and a lot of pastors and a lot of leaders, they kind of are quiet or they don't speak up um, or put their opinions out about politics because they're trying to remain politically correct and they don't want to say anything that's going to offend the people in their congregation. And I don't believe that us not speaking up about what's going on in our society, that we in the body of Christ, that we shouldn't try to be politically correct. Because when you start being politically correct, you begin to compromise the things of God. And I hear that a lot in churches, that God is in control. We speak about police brutality and how black men and black people are being shot all the time due to white people. And we talk about the KKK and, and white supremacy and all these things, but they're not really taught about in churches where we get our spiritual food. And churches really directs us on how we live our lives and what we say and what we don't say. So if we go to a church who is always saying, you know, God is in control and doesn't speak up on about, you know, white supremacy 
and doesn't speak out about, you know, the killings and police brutality. And they kind of just tell us, you know, God is in control and just, you know, have peace. And then now we're out in the world just being hush mouth when, you know, we see people facing discrimination and we see people doing this. But we're like, oh, what would God want me to do? Oh, let me just turn my other cheek. And let me just be peaceful. Like, no, you know, there is a time where we do have to speak up. There is a time where we do have to speak the truth and we have to speak the truth in love. Yes. Not saying that we have to be violent, just like Dr. Martin Luther King. He was very big on that. Like, we don't need to be violent. We don't need to kill anybody. We don't need to fight. We just need to use our voice. We were given a voice for a reason. And we need to be the light. You know what I mean? Like, we need to be the light. And so I feel as though in churches a lot of times is that we kind of dim our light when it comes to certain situations that will have us unpolitically correct. And I feel like most leaders, especially white leaders and white pastors, what they don't realize is that when they when they kind of you know, brush the idea or brush the fact that these things are happening in our society, it hurts the members of their congregation. And that's why, you know, a lot of them just go back to black churches because, you know, in black churches, we speak about these things. But then again, it's not doing any, it's, that it's not benefiting the body if we're just going to go our, you know, our separate ways and be segregated. And these activists and these slaves and all these things that they worked for and, you know, um, Rosa Parks and Frederick Douglass, all these people that, you know, fought hard for us to be integrated like we're causing the enemy I guess we're allowing the enemy to allow us to be segregated because of what politics because of what what's going on in society because of what because we're not speaking up and saying that yes black lives matter yes um my minorities matter we're just kind of just oh just have peace God is in control and we're just trying to be politically correct because we see that you know most of our sponsors and and, um, you know, the people in our churches hold government positions. And so we don't want to say anything because then they're not going to tithe. They're not, they're not going to give their generous donations. And then we lose that. You know what I mean? Like, it becomes a whole business. And in that transaction, there are souls that are being lost. And now there are black people out there who feel as though Jesus isn't for them, that, you know, um, Christianity isn't for them. And so they turn to other religions who are more accepting of them. And then this is where we get this um, division. This is where we get these black groups that, um, you know, say they are Bible believers, but believes that, you know, it, God only came for the blacks. And, and then they're, they, they're, they hate white people. Like, these are the things that arouse because of us saying, oh, let's be politically correct. We're going to dim our light a little bit on this situation. We're not going to speak the truth because we don't want to offend anyone. I feel as though when I am in a mixed church, how I feel as though I'm like, wow, like God, this is how heaven's going to look like. And it says in Revelation 7 verse 9, I'm sorry, I'm reading from the NIV version, and it says that, you know, after this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And this is the picture we get of heaven that there are going to be people from every nation, tribe and language. And so that's what our churches should look like. And yes, you know, I'm, I'm excited because there are, you know, churches that are that we see this diversity, and that's awesome. 
But I was also reading about how, you know, these churches that are more diverse, it's like they're starting brand new because there's not really resources or there wasn't anybody that they can look to for support or advice from because that's not really the majority right now. You know, we don't have majority um mixed churches we don't have majority multiracial churches um it's more you know there's the white churches and there's the black churches that we have and and then you know it's just a lot that goes on and then even with like let's say a black person decides to go to a white church then you know they have their family or you know a church they might have grown grown up at looking at them like oh why are you at the white people church you know what I mean like or vice versa it could be vice versa like you know, somebody who, you know, grew up in a predominantly white church, you know, that is white and they go they want to go to a black church because maybe they like their style of worship and their family or their, you know, their church um, family are just looking at them sideways. Like, why would you go to a black church? But it's it's it shouldn't be white church, black church, Spanish church, Haitian church, Asian church. It should be one church. We are one body. Right. And I know you're probably thinking, but Samantha, like, you know, these different churches is because, you know, they have different languages. But I've been to churches where I've seen people actually translate into different languages. And I know of this Haitian church in Miami where they actually have like these earpieces that would translate the message and translate the service for people. So it's possible, you know, like. We don't have to live in this closed mindedness. We don't have to live segregated, especially in the body of Christ. If we want to see a change in the world, I believe that it starts in the church, that we have to be that light. We have to be that example of what we want to see replicated in this world. We're saying all the time that, oh, you know, we, you know, we don't like racism and, you know, we, you know, pray for pray for our nation. Our, our nation is divided and things like that. We're saying all of this in church, but it's like not only is our nation divided, not only is America divided, but the church is divided as well. And if we begin to go back to the roots and realize that even when we go and we are, we're praying and worshiping God, you look out in your congregation and you realize that, huh, you know, in the world, it's, you know, we're a bit segregated. And, you know, in the world, there's a lot of, you know, battle between, you know, blacks and whites and Black Lives Matter and, and all these um, campaigns and, and movements that are happening. Huh. You know, my church is not really that diverse. Like, you know, what is the issue? But because we just grew up on this, because this is just the norm, because, you know, some members of the church are you know, a little bit racist and they don't want to really see, they don't really want to worship next to a black person. They really, they don't really want to see a black pastor, you know, leading or, you know what I mean? So we're just like, oh, you know, you know, maybe, you know, you're a pastor and you're like, you know, I want to see diverse, but I know if I include diversity, they're going to, we're going to lose some members of the church. You know what I mean? Like this is reality. And it saddens me because it draws a lot of our black people, our black young people as well. Not not really young people. I feel like us young people, um, we do realize that this is an issue and we try to go to churches who are a bit more diverse because we realize that, you know, why is it that I, I go to a black church? Why is it that there are white churches? Why are we so um, segregated, right? Um, I feel like, you know, we're young people are a little bit more woke about this. Um, but then we have the older folks who on both sides are still 
I don't live living the the mentality of their ancestors. And when I was doing my research, I realized that um like the black churches, how it even started was that when the slave owners would take their slaves to church with them, they didn't even really worship together. The slaves would go to the balcony and have to stand and just listen to the sermon. So they were never really, you know, included, you know, when they had to take communion, they didn't take it together. So there was never really that fellowship. Of course not. You know, they you would think that, you know, they're going to church, you know, maybe they'll light, lighten up. But no, they still segregated them. What the blacks did, what the slaves did is that, you know, they started to um, form their like little secret services where they would worship God together and things like that. They would like go in the bushes. And then there were some um, some slaves who were freed. They are free slaves now. And they went and they started up um, black churches where they would, you know, incorporate um, tambourines, drums, and all these things. And, you know, I believe that at the time, that's what they had to do because that's what the society was. The society was segregated. And so they were only doing what, you know, they wanted to worship God. And so they wanted to do it in where they could feel comfortable. And so that's what they did. But being that all that happened and we had the Civil War, we had the Jim Crow, and we had all these things, and now we're living in the 21st century, and we're claiming that, um, you know, it's not as bad, Samantha, that, you know, that, you know, racism is not, you know, it's not as relevant. When we watch TV all the time and we see it all the time that there's still this this white supremacy that, you know, there's still the majority and it's, I guess, I want to say it's fine that they're the majority, you know, for the minority, but it's how they treat us. And I know um, it, I could see this a lot, or I see this a lot where it's like there are organizations and big companies that will kind of play this tokenism where they would hire a black woman or hire a black man and kind of say, oh, well, we're not racist because we have so-and-so on board. But it's like, like, I'm, of course, I listen, I love I love white people. I love y'all. Like, y'all are my brothers is in Christ. Like, I have love for y'all. And I'm not at any, you know, trying to come at y'all or anything. I'm just speaking from a place where I want everybody to be woke in a sense because we always claim woke. But, we're, but are we really woke if we don't speak up on these things? You know what I mean? Like, it's one thing to be woke, but it's one thing to actually be active in that wokeness. Yes, your eyes are open, but what are you doing because your eyes are open, right? So this is where I'm coming from. Like, if I, you know, if I sound like I'm being harsh, I'm not being harsh at all. I'm not coming at any, you know, I'm coming at y'all. I just want your eyes to be open so y'all can see where I'm coming from and can see where other black people are coming from and where other minorities are coming from. My goal and what I want to see is for us to be unified and for us to be one. And so we need to speak up about these sorts of things so that we could pray, you know, and, and kind of cast these things down and really seek for justice and seek for unity so that we can really walk in oneness. So um, as I was saying that, you know, what happens is most time is that we will have these, um, you know, it's like the white people will kind of play the savior role where it's just like, listen, like you realize there's no other black person here. Like I got you this. And so it kind of makes us feel as though we owe them. You know, we owe them because, oh, you're right. Like there is no other black person. And so we kind of they can say any racist thing or, you know, they could treat others a certain way 
or, you know, not speak up about racism or like police brutality and things of this nature. And you'll have that black person there who won't necessarily say anything, because if I say anything, then I risk losing my job or I I risk being hated. So then we don't say anything at all. And that's that's what they want. Right. And then they're going to say, oh, well, we can't be racist because we have Jermaine on board. We have um, Toya on board. You know what I mean? Like we Toya's hired and she never speaks out about anything that like you guys are just you're, you guys are looking at this too deeply or you're just, you know, angry black people, you know, things of that nature. And that ha- and these are like literally history repeats itself. Y'all like history repeats itself. And that happened um, during, you know, the slave time when when our ancestors were slaves. And they play this tokenism where they would like pick like the light skinned um, slave and kind of put them in the house or, you know, certain people, they'll put them in the house. And these were like it was slaves against slaves and like slaves, you know, thought of themselves higher and better, even though they were still slaves just because, you know, the um, white person made them feel as though they had authority. And so they would beat on the slaves and, and, and tell them, you know, make them do work and do all that just because they were in the house and they were better. And we see that a lot in, in today's age as well, that we have black people who feel as though they're better than us, other black people because of the fact that they feel as though, you know, they arrived or they've, they've achieved this level of success and not really speaking up, up for the minorities or, you know, confronting um, racial slurs and, it, it, you know, they just kind of had to be quiet. And I'm not coming at them in sideways either because I, I could understand, like, we're only just trying to survive, right? We're, we're in this world and we, we realized um, as black people that, you know, we have to pick our battles. We really do. And we have to know sometimes when we should speak up and when we shouldn't speak up. Um, because if we do speak up, it could be to our disadvantage sometimes and we might risk everything, right? And I can understand that. I really do. Um, but also, and I'm speaking from a, a kingdom citizen point, that we are kingdom citizens and the way we do things needs to be different than the way the world does it. And so kingdom citizens, what we are, what we do is that we die to our flesh. We die to our ways. Why we take up our cross, realizing that there are going to be, it's a sacrifice that we make. And so there are might be things that we may lose, but what we're what our goal is is to be one with Christ, and we are to follow Him in everything. And just like Jesus would speak up about the way He spoke up about it was in love. Just like I'm thinking of um, when the children would come to Him, and you know the disciples were saying, "Hey, hold up, children, children!" And He was like, "He welcomed them." You know what I mean? Like He didn't want anybody to to be segregated. Even the children are welcome. And I would think even about. Um, the woman with the issue of blood, you know, she was like the lowest of lows in the, in the society at the time that nobody would touch her because she had this issue and nobody would, you know, would want to be with her or, you know, she was, she didn't have that community. And when she was coming in search of Jesus and coming to just touch his hem, he felt that, you know, he felt her, he felt her pain. He felt that someone had faith, right? And he acknowledged her and so Jesus wants to acknowledge our pain. He wants to acknowledge this oppression that we face. Um, and we are to be like him, right? We are made in his image. And so, therefore, we should also confront the oppression. We should also confront the injustice in this world. And, yeah, so, like, 
you know, speaking to my um, white counterparts, you know, speaking to my white brothers and sisters and speaking to my um, Spanish people, my Spanish brothers and sisters, you know, that we are supposed to be brothers and sisters in Christ, right? And the way we operate and the way we think should be different than the the way the world thinks. And it's true that even in today, like, there are a lot of, um, injustice in racial racial things that happens that they justify the Bible. They use the Bible to justify their doings. And we know that, um, you know, if you read your word, you know that the people are going to take things, that what is good and say it's bad and what's bad is good. Um, that's just the world that we live in. And we're seeing that every day that what is wicked people are praising and what is righteous people are not wanting to see things done righteously. But as, you know, it's our duty to do things with in righteousness and to do things in purity and to do things in love. And we are to speak up about the injustice. Yes, of course, God is in control. But at the same time, he didn't put us here for us not to say anything. He didn't, you know, allow us to be woke, not to do anything Um just like, you know, and when it talks about the Bible that a lot of people are going to be asleep, their eyes are going to be veiled. And, and, you know, there are those people that he tells us all the time to wake up. We have to wake up, right? We're always claiming we're woke. And we're always saying that, you know, um, we want to see unity. And we say that we want to see diversity. But do we really? is the question. And I know I'm speaking personally that I failed on, on, on my behalf because, you know, I'll see these these move, these movements and I'll see these other black people speaking up and being activists. And I'm just like, oh, well, you know, they're doing it. So I'm gonna let them do them. And I'm just gonna just continue to be silent where I'm at because I don't want nobody looking at me any type of way. Right. But that's wrong on my part because you know, we shouldn't feel as though just because one black person is speaking up that that's enough. We all need to speak up, you know, and not just black people, but white people as well. That if you're really against racism, if you're anti-racism, then, you know, you will speak up as well. I understand. I feel like there's three branches of it, branches to it. And I've heard this somewhere um, where it's like you have your racist, your anti-racist and you're non-racist, right? And, like, in these three different branches, it's like you have your races, of course, you know, racism, and, like, you know, they are racist, um, and that comes with, like, prejudice and all these things that they feel as though there's... Racism is, like, this this sense of, like, white supremacy and that there's power. They have power and authority um, over the minorities. Um, and then you have, like, your anti-racism, which are your activists, your black activists and, and, and minorities um, representation who you know actively seek out justice and actively seek um, diversity in in areas and representation in areas and then you have your non-racists who are just passive that are just you know they see what's going on but they don't speak up about it but if we could actually come together you know black and white other minorities and actively speak up against these and speak up against, you know, the racism in this world and the segregation that occurs even in churches, then maybe then maybe we will actually see, you know, more change. And maybe, you know, the, um, the government will take us a little bit more serious. But if we're only putting all the pressure and all the, the load on one person to speak up on behalf of us millions here on this earth, we're not really wanting to see 
diversity. I don't believe so. I feel like, you know, a lot of us just got comfortable with what, you know, what we experience that we got so comfortable that we don't even realize that it is racism that we experience on a day-to-day basis, that it is prejudice that we experience, that it is discrimination because we're just so used to it. You know, in the body of Christ, you know, we really need to stick with our brothers and sisters and we really need to speak up on this and we need not to feel as though we need to be politically correct. You know what I mean? Like God never tells us to be politically correct. Yes, we are to have wisdom. Yes, of course. But if you're not speaking up against racism because of a check, then that's when you need to check your heart. You know what I mean? Like that's when you check your heart. If you're dimming your light because you don't want to offend a white person in your church, that's when you need to check your heart and realize who are you doing this for? Are you doing it for God or are you doing it for man? Right? And it's just a, it's just a lot that comes with it and it's a lot that, you know, we experience and it only hinders us because if, you know, we don't have um, people, black people who are, you know, part of these missionary teams, you know, there are some people that, white people can't reach unfortunately that they can't really um have a personal connection with because you know the 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 people that they're um evangelizing to will feel like how most people most black people feel as though that this is a white man's religion and so you're white like what how can you relate to my struggles and and the oppressions that i that i face and so that's why you know having more black leaders and having more minority leaders in the church and out on these mission fields is important so that, you know, they can connect and and have personal connections with these people who are looking for someone who looks like them and who looks their color to kind of, you know, build that connection with and receive the gospel from, you know, that's just the world we live in. Um, And so I feel like we have to take an active um, walk, an active step and, really speak and really act on what we speak, really act on what we say we believe. If we believe that this nation and in this world should be um, anti-racism, then we need to actively walk in that and, and really do what we can to do that. And again, I'm speaking, I'm talking to you all, but I'm speaking to myself as well. In Christ, we are one. In Christ, we are the head and not the tail, right? And so, there's a lot I you know, I can talk for days when it comes to, you know, what I believe happens in, in, in black communities and just the discrimination and the oppression that we face and how, you know, with even health care and unemployment rate, they have high percentage in statistics. They have a high percentage of cancer and diabetes and all these things. And that's all related to, you know, discrimination that we face. And, you know, the system is not really set up for us and have people in government who still have the mindset that they are masters and we are slaves. And so they're not really in favor for us. You know, they are looking out for their own people. And that's why it's important as well for us to um us to educate each other and us to educate our children, us to educate our young people to see and, and understand that, you know, this this world and the system is not really set up for us. And so we have to, you know, instill in them that, you know, thank God, you know, we have Barack Obama um, who, you know, was in presidency. And so it gives us hope that, you know, us black people, that we can, you know, take these sorts of positions and we can be in government and we can be lawyers, we can be doctors. Um, 
and have a seat at the table. You know what I mean? But yes, you know, just the world we live in, we have to work a little bit harder. You know, that's just what it is. And even in churches, you know, there are more white pastors. There are more more white boards. And we can also be pastors. You know what I mean? Like, Jesus came for the nation. He came for everyone. He came for the whites. He came for the blacks. He came for the Spanish. He came for the Asians. He came for us all, right? And so, although we may be of different color, we serve one God who sees us as one. And so, we just need to learn how to live in unity and to appreciate our differences and to appreciate our uniqueness and to honor one another and to love one another and i believe that it all begins in the church and once we once we can actually begin to um realize this and educate each other on this and gain in knowledge about this and this situation and how we can live as one because it says what that my people perish for the lack of knowledge right and so if we can begin to see this in the church and you know create more diverse churches and more multiracial churches you know then maybe we begin to see a little bit more change in the world that we live in but i really believe that it begins in the churches and that um kingdom citizens is what i have for you today um i just pray that you know, I was kind of just speaking, you know, what was on my heart. I'm kind of just speaking um, on behalf of, you know, it's Black History Month. So why not talk about, you know, the the discriminations and in, in, in the diversity and unity in the church, you know. So um, I just pray that, you know, your eyes were opened up a little bit. You're, you know, you're a little bit woke and you want you're wanting to actively seek for um, anti-racism in the world that we live in and maybe be a little bit more bold about who you are and your stance that we don't have to you know we don't have to feel belittled we don't have to feel as though we don't have a say we don't have to feel as though we're the the um the, the, the afterthought no because in God in Jesus we have freedom you know he came and died for us all and so we have equality we just have to believe that and have faith that you know we can um be unified and that we can um be equal um i know i I, you're probably saying samantha listen i don't believe that's what's gonna happen but if we have faith and at least we can try to do that in the church right i I spoke um this in in the introduction episode that you know the world we live in we know that everybody's not gonna get it and that we're you know we're gonna face oppression um, this is the world, but what about the church, you know, inside the church? What about in the body of Christ that we can begin to become unified and teach the world what unification really looks like, teach the world what anti-racism really looks like? Um, thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Um, I pray that, you know, you are able to um, have a wonderful um, Black History Month and that we begin to celebrate Black History Month um a little bit more be appreciative of our past rather than you know kind of brushing it under the rug you know it it happened for a reason and so we should be able to embrace our story embrace our ancestors story and um and you know i love y'all i love y'all love y'all love y'all i pray y'all have a blessed day and be blessed